Today I am joined by a guest. I'm joined by Triarzi. Hello. Hello. I am glad to be here. Yeah, no, I'm glad to have you. So, yeah, no. Uh, uh, so we had a couple of topics we wanted to talk about. Um, but first of all, Dark Knight. Um, yeah. So this was a movie that you had recommended for me to watch. And I've got to say, yeah. I was blown away. Yeah, it's unbelievable. It's in every aspect that you can, like, categorizes a film it's like it's it's perfect like Heath Ledger gives a top five performance of all time um, yeah Christian Bale is amazing I mean everybody it's just it's so good it's insane because it has a really long runtime, but you don't feel a second of it yeah, I think Nolan specifically is really good at that because a lot of his movies are two hours and 20 minutes or longer, especially that Dark Knight trilogy. But like, I know for me, since I recently rewatched all three of them, it's just like I'm so dialed in the entire time. It like just flies by and I'm kind of sad when it's over because they're just like, they're paced so well. And he just keeps you, like, in it the entire time. It's great. Yeah, no, and as someone who had in, only seen the Joaquin Phoenix Joker being put into, like, experiencing the tour de force performance that Heath Ledger brought, it was insane. Yeah. yeah. I, I will give kudos where kudos is due. Like, Joaquin Phoenix unbelievable as the joker i really like him but i think there is no one that will ever do as good as he like when i think of the joker i think of Heath ledger and i think that applies not only to uh the film community but also to just general it like the general population who just are casual moviegoers when you say joker they think of Heath ledger's performance just because of how iconic he was and um like i read something the other day that said in preparation for the role i don't know what the i think it was about a month or two but he basically i isolated himself in a hotel room and just stayed there to like get into the role and it it he was just like it's unbelievable And yeah, no, I've heard that too, that his, like, he was dead set on, like, method acting, getting that performance how he wanted it, and it really, really paid off. Yeah, for sure. I totally agree. Um, Like, uh, Aaron Eckhart, uh, the guy who uh, plays Harvey Dent slash Two-Face, talks about uh, the hospital scene. where Joker comes in and basically has this huge like monologue in front of Aaron Eckhart. And Aaron Eckhart talked about like when they were setting up for that scene, Heath Ledger was like walking around in character, just like talking to himself and making sounds. 
and just like trying to stay in character and all this stuff. And that whole st- that whole scene, like how it was shot, wasn't scripted. Like they just like built that as they went, which I think is extremely impressive and shows the acting chops of both of those people. Um, yeah, there there's so much to break down from that film. I was wondering for you, like this is something I like talking about with my friends after we watch films. Uh, what is the most rewatchable scene for you? In that movie, in my opinion, the most rewatchable scene is that scene where Batman goes into the club and just starts beating people up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That that one's pretty sweet. I The way that shot is so interesting. Um, a lot of those scenes where, because there's one in The Dark Knight Rises as well, where uh, it's like Batman is fighting and like flashing lights. It very much has like a horror movie aspect to it, to where you're not seeing all of him, but he kind of just like jumps up here and there and there. And it's like, whoa, it's very startling. But I, I really enjoyed the way Nolan got that. Um, I think for me, though, the most rewatchable scene is the dinner party scene where uh, Bruce Wayne is having that dinner party and uh, the Joker comes up and he's like looking for Harvey Dent. That entire scene, I'm just like in awe of Heath Ledger. And like the whole, you want to know how I got these scars monologue is just, it's so good every time. It's so iconic and it's just, it's, it's, it's exquisite. It's, yeah, it's, he's just so, there, I can't say enough how good he is in that movie. Um, and it's so sad that he didn't get to, like, revel in the glory of winning, like, Best Supporting Actor. And um, it's just, like, yeah, it's really sad that how much he put himself into that role really uh, took did a not help his mental health in the long game. No, it really so took a definitely... toll. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Keep going. No, no, you go ahead. No, I was going to say it just really like took a toll on him, you know? Yeah, and I think that happens to a lot of people. Uh, Christian Bale is very guilty of that. Um, like, if you see him in like something like The Machinist, he like he ate for like three months straight to prepare that for that role. He only ate a can of tuna and an apple every day. He, I think he weighed less than 120 pounds. But then look look at him in like Vice, the Adam McKay film where he played Dick Cheney. He weighed like 220 pounds. So like, there's a lot of people out there that go so far to get so dedicated to this role that they're playing, and I think it's so impressive, like, the dedication they have to their art and to their passion. Um, And I think it just makes their performances that much better when they're that dedicated. You know, and I'd like to bring up a personal favorite of mine um, in Full Metal Jacket with Vincent D'Onofrio, how much weight he put on for that role and what uh, Kubrick pushed him to, to, uh, 
and how that really took a toll on him. And you can see that the performance he gives, it, it almost partially looks like he was insane from what they were pushing him to, that it started to come out in real, like, watching that role, he plays it so harshly. Yeah. Yeah, that's definitely one. Because I'm so pretty new to, like, um, the film. And, like, I really got into film, like, four months ago. Um, shout out to my TikTok, Trade the Film Noob, if you want to give me a follow. I'm doing, I'm not doing a lot of reviews right now because of the strike. I want to, like, like, pause in solidarity with those who are on strike. Um, but I do, like, rankings, brackets, stuff like that. So if you want to give me a follow, Trade the Film Noob on TikTok. Um, so I've yet to see Full Metal Jacket. It's something I really need. To, even I even own it. I have it, but I just like I haven't gotten around. Maybe I'll get around to it today. Um, but yeah, from what I've seen, that role he Vincent DeFornio is just like he's so locked in. It's it's really impressive and kind of scary to watch. Oh yeah. Um, and Kubrick's known for that, just having his actors be pushed to all extremes to get what he wants out of a role. And in all of his movies, you can really see amazing performances that almost look borderline true insanity. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, I think Kubrick was really good at that. Um, like... As, that's like a as a segue into the other film we or one of the other films we want to talk about, Shining. Yes. Um, like you read stories about that movie set, and it was so so hard. Like Shelley Duvall, uh, um, she talks about like how like intense and anxiety inducing, and uh, how much like. Uh, Stanley Kubrick like pushed her um, in that role to like almost to a point like a breaking point um, but you can really see how effective effective it is in the film because she is just like the emotions she puts across are just so genuine and feel so real and visceral um, you can really tell that like Stanley Kubrick knew what he was doing. And if I'm not mistaken, and I could search it up. Yeah, no, Shelley Duvall, her hands were shredded raw from gripping the bat for such a prolonged period of time. Her voice was hoarse from yeah. crying. Her eyes became swollen and she left the set completely dehydrated. Yeah, just like stuff like that. It's like how far will you go to make a great film um and like it obviously works because the shining is one of the in my opinion it's my all-time favorite horror movie um i think it's one of the greatest movies of all time um it's not particularly scary i'm sure it was when it came out in 1980 you watch it now and you're like okay this is kind of creepy um, but like just the way that it's shot um like all the shots kubrick has of danny riding like his big wheel down the hallway that was the first time in any film that a shot like that has been used 
Um, and like the the shot where the ho- owner of the hotel is showing uh, Jack Nicholson and Shelley Duvall through the big like uh, living space, and it's like just a side. It looks like a side scroller video game. Like it's just following them from the side view, like through. It's just like it's so well shot. I just love it so much. Yeah, no, uh, that side shot is amazing. Um, But there's something that I like to say when it comes to talking about The Shining, and it's that everything in the film feels like its own character. Like, the sound mixing plays as much of, almost if not more, of a role than it almost seems like Jack Nicholson plays. And you also have the camera work, the dialogue, everything is its own big thing. The The score... In The Shining is so haunting that it like resonates with you. Um, mm-hmm. And there are some parts of that movie that are very, very unnerving. And there's also like, if, yeah. if you watch the documentary about The Shining, I can't remember the name of it. I think it's, uh, oh man. But there's a documentary about The Shining where they talk about all of the small like background details, like the the text on like the cans in that uh pantry area and how everything has its own meaning to the movie and some of it could easily be over exaggerated but if any of that is true it just goes and adds more to how much of a master class of film the shining is yeah the documentary i think you're talking about it's called room 237 i have it on my watch list right now yeah because it like delves deep into all the conspiracy theories well, not just not conspiracy theories, but just theories about what everything means. Um, and like, there's a lot of, there's like a lot of people who think like, it's a big like, metaphor for like the Native American massacre in like the 1700s and, um, and stuff like that. But you are right. There's a lot of scenes where I'm just like, my jaw is just dropped. And I'm like, what am I watching? Specifically, the scene um, between Jack Torrance and Delbert Grady uh, in the bathroom. um, Where uh, it's like the whole thing with Delbert Grady. And he's like, and then I corrected her and all this stuff. Like, the way, like, everything about that scene is so perfect at making you feel anxious and uncomfortable. I just, I, that, that is my re- most rewatched scene for that movie. It's just, oh, it's so good. It's so good. Um, if we're talking about other haunting scenes involving bathrooms, there's another one <laughs> that comes up. Often, when you talk about that movie, uh, there's some really unsettling, like, very pop-up visual. It's almost a... I would call it a disturbing visual, even. It's something involving, like, a guy in a bear costume, where they never... Yes. They never elaborate on any of it. But it's just really, like... Have you seen Mulholland Drive? Uh, I'm not. It's on my watch list. Um, I'm gonna do a David Lynch watch through soon um and that's probably going to be my first one because it's so highly regarded 
Um, Mulholland Drive's amazing. Um, but within the first ten minutes of that movie, there's a scene where I don't want to. It's not a spoiler if it's so early in, but there's yeah. a there's a shot where a guy's like walking down behind a restaurant. Um, and you've probably heard of the Winkies scene, but yeah, the guy's walking behind the restaurant, and then something just pops out from like right in front of him just pops out and it's very reminiscent on that bear thing where it's just a creepy disturbing shot for like half a second but it's something that you really don't forget as the movie goes on yeah for sure and i think there's a lot of directors that are good at that at putting these little minute details that they don't expand on that you're kind of just like, yep, that's there. Let's move on. Like uh, Paul Thomas Anderson, I feel like is really good at like um, uh, Mag- Magnolia. I just watched like a month ago for the first time. And there's so much stuff to unpack in that movie that it like warrants multiple watches um, or like Baby Driver, Edgar Wright film. Um, which is one of my personal favorites. Every time you watch it, there's new stuff you pick up. Like, oh, didn't realize that the last few times I've watched it. Or that. Or the way that's shot, that's really interesting, you know? Um, and I love stuff like that. That just gets, like, you pick up more and more with each rewatch. Yeah, no, that's... Um, yeah, like you said, that's always something that I have huge respect for when a movie does it. When it has rewatch value where you are able to pick up new stuff on a rewatch, so you want to rewatch it. I think a movie that can incline you to rewatch it is really good. Um, that brings me back to uh, all the Ari Aster stuff, you know? Yeah. All, all that stuff yeah. needs at least one rewatch to understand. Of course, David Lynch is the king of that stuff. <laughs> um, yeah. None of his stuff makes sense on the first watch, but then the more you watch it, the more you pick up, and it's like, whoa, this is amazing. Um, yeah. I mean, like, it's... Um, yeah, it's... There's so much to unpack in Ari Aster's films. Honestly, the way... The Shining is made, um, and the way it's shot, and how there is so much work put into the cinematography, and the script, and the acting, and the story. Um, Like, if that was made today, that would be an Ari Aster film. Um, Because you have so much horror that comes out these days that really is just going for the scare factor but just isn't, like, a good film, you know? And I think Ari Aster has found the perfect, like, middle ground with his films being great films, but also being, like, terrifying and horrific to watch. Um, and that's that's the thing I like about this horror movie, specifically The Shining, is that it's, like, it's unsettling and it's hard to watch at points, but it's also such a well-made film. Um, it's so that's, I think Ari Aster is this, I would assume this is one of his biggest influences because I see a lot of the shining in some of his films, such as like hereditary and midsummer. Yeah. 
Um, um, I couldn't agree. Yeah, I think. Oh, I was gonna say. What? I, what do you? Huh? Go ahead. Go ahead. Go I was, ahead. I was gonna say I couldn't agree more that there's a lot of shining influence in a lot of modern horror movies, and like you were saying, a lot of movies just go for scare factor, and you have a lot of movies like that now. Um, but movies like Hereditary that really like hit the nail on the head with making a great movie. That's also a very difficult movie to make it through with how genuinely terrifying some of it is. Yeah. Um, and I've always been, you, what do you have the shining rated at? I think I have it five star. I don't I th- know what I have it rated at out of a hundred. I have the shining at five stars and I have it at number nine of all time on my top 50. I adore yeah. the shining. It's my third favorite Kubrick. Yeah, I mean, it's just, like, it's so perfect. Um, And it's definitely in my top three favorite horror films. Um, And it honestly might be my highest rated. Um, Let me see here. I'm on Letterboxd right now. But, like, as a, like, generally, horror is my favorite genre um i think like it's just it's so freaking good um and yeah it's it's like a master class in horror stanley Kubrick really knew what he was doing um but yeah no i would also like to quickly talk on the fact that danny lloyd as a very, very small child delivers a highly unsettling performance as well, Danny. Um, yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. The The scene that probably makes me most uncomfortable in the movie is the uh, red rum scene. It, I'm just like sitting here, just like my heart is just beating so fast. And I'm just like, Oh my god, this kid's unbelievable. And you don't get that a lot out of child actors as much anymore. But there's a scene in The Shining where Danny is laying in bed and then he starts, like, foaming at the mouth. Yeah. That's, like, really, really scary. (laughs) Yeah. Um... Yeah, you don't, especially in horror, like, nowadays you don't get too many great, like, horror child actors. And just, like, child actors in in film, in general, there's not too many great ones, um, really, anymore. Um, which is why I love Hereditary so much, because Millie Shapiro... She plays the young girl, and uh, Hereditary was just, um, she was so, so good. And her performance was just unbelievably unsettling um, and just, like, hard to watch. 
And that, again, also brings me out back to um, The Exorcist. If we're going to talk about child performances, it is almost impossible to not bring up how haunting Linda Blair's performance as Reagan is. Yeah, she's... She, uh, I just watched that for the first time, and, uh, like, I will say this. So I enjoy practical effects, like all the evil dead stuff I love. Um, but it doesn't, it doesn't scare me just because like, it's kind of, I don't know, I don't want to say tacky, but it's just not as unsettling as the CGI is like now used a lot in horror. It's not as unsettling, um, but her performance in that, was I I had to watch I, I think I watched like super bad or something after I watched that because I watched it at night before I was going to bed and I was like I need a palate cleanser that was terrifying yeah no I can totally agree with you there the thing about the exorcist though is that there's small details and you could say it's like the shining where there's these small details where like the second um, Max von Sydow shows up, you almost hear her mention, like, in the background, you hear Reagan's voice say something that, like, seems to bother him, but you can see that she knows mm-hmm. things, and it's just that, that possessed performance, and everything about that movie, is there's just something about it that's so highly unnerving that there's points that you want to like pause it take a breath and like (laughs) splash yourself with holy water before you go back to watching it (laughs) yeah it's everybody in that film is so unsettling and they just do it was it was so well done um and actually, I just saw the trailer. Um, they're coming out with like a sequel um, to the original Exorcist. Like, there's been a lot of films um, that have tried to like recreate the feeling of the Exorcist, um, but just haven't been successful. And now they're just coming out with a direct sequel. Um, like to the exorcist or a reboot i guess you could say because there's there uh was exorcist 2 in 1977 um but i saw the trailer for it and it looks good but i'm just i'm kind of nervous honestly yeah because i feel like a lot of horror reboots just don't they don't go very well and i think a lot of people just need to leave the original ip alone and i will say that trailer was a terrifying thing to come right before watching oppenheimer (laughs) yeah um but the thing that scares me the most about this exorcist legacy sequel if you will is the fact that not only is it the same director as halloween ends um it's the same director as pineapple express yeah, and that definitely, like, that's the first I'm hearing of that. 
Um, so I appreciate you bringing that to my attention. Halloween Ends is easily one of the worst movies I have ever seen. It was so bad. I, it's, God, it was terrible. And I don't know how you feel about it. But for me, it was just like, what is happening? We've completely ruined Mike Myers. And the first like reboot, just the new, the newer Halloween, I actually really liked. I thought it was really solid. The second one was, it was okay. And then the third one, I was just like, what are we doing here, people? It was, it was, it was definitely very hard to watch. My biggest task watching Halloween Ends was trying to not fall asleep. Um, oh, 100%. But to, um, to make matters somehow even worse, the writer of The New Exorcist, I don't know if you're familiar with This Is The End. Oh, yeah. That's you, a great film. It's a great movie, but Danny McBride is writing The New Exorcist. You can't. What? This can't be real. That's that's my problem. I mean... Yeah. This... Oh, God. I mean, play devil's advocate here. Like, we have seen comedic writers successfully make great horror movies. Um... quote-unquote, Jordan Peele. Yeah. um, Who's made three unbelievable horror movies. But, I mean, I just don't see Danny McBride as as someone who's gonna, like, really be able to bring that haunting energy. Um, So, I don't know. I'm I'm cautiously hopeful, is what I'm saying. I'm cautiously hopeful. Um, and if you were to tell me that there was an exorcist movie directed by the guy who directed Pineapple Express and written by Danny McBride, my first response would be the movie Repossessed, if you don't know what that one is. Leslie Nielsen from Airplane did a parody of The Exorcist, and that's, in my mind, where this is going. Yeah, I mean, I'm looking at... Um, David Gordon Green is the guy who's set to direct uh, The New Exorcist. Um, and I'm looking at his filmography, and he has done a lot of comedies, but he not only did a Halloween Ends, he did the re- original reboot in 2018, which I think is, as I said, is actually like a pretty solid slasher film. Um, it in no way holds a candle to the original Halloween. To the original Halloween, but I definitely think it's a solid. Um, it's a solid slasher, and it's a good time. So there's potential for it, but seeing things on his filmography like Your Highness and The Sitter are highly, highly concerning. Yeah, a hundred percent. I'm gonna. I want to see what other movies Danny... Oh, Danny McBride also wrote the Halloween trilogy. Okay, so they've worked together before. 
I but, was not aware of that. Oh, that's interesting. But yeah, no. Uh, Halloween ends and Halloween kills are subpar, to put it nicely. Yes. Um. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but if they can pull it off, I'd be very happy. Because I would love to have another Exorcist movie that's not, like, The Exorcist 2, which... I don't even know what the rating that that movie has is because I, I myself have never looked into the other Exorcist movies after seeing the first one because I my fear yeah, was it's like you can't do the that Exorcist again. to but, like the Heretic or something. Exorcist Let's two it has. the Heretic it oh, has yeah. a two point one <laughs> on Letterbox. That is rough. I wonder what like the third one has. The third oh, one has third a, one has a three point five. Has a three point five, and it's known, like it is well known, um, but then again, it doesn't like hold a candle to the first one. Uh, and I just have to point out that there's an actor in it named Ed Flanders. Uh huh. I don't know. Is there? That's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> that he probably gets called Ned Flanders constantly. Oh yeah, all the time. <laughs> But the first Exorcist was amazing. Um, and while we're on the topic of horror movies, there was another movie that I wanted to bring up. Audition. What were your thoughts? Um, so... Okay. It took me a really long time to get into it. It's a... The it, first hour, it's really slow. Um... For I definitely want to give it oh, yeah, a rewatch. Yeah. Um, for when I'm in a better, not a better head, I guess a better head space for slow burn like that. Uh, but man, that last hour, when it picks up, it picks up. Like, I was just locked in. And I don't think I've ever actually, like, gagged during a horror movie. But are we doing, like, do you want to do, like, a spoiler warning? Or because there is some parts at the end that I would love to talk about. Oh, yeah. No, spoiler warning for Audition. And it's one you might not have seen, but it's on Tubi. So we recommend go going to check it out and then coming back. Yeah. Um, yeah. So skip ahead, like, ten minutes. Uh, but that scene where she barfs into the dish and then brings it over and the guy is drinking out of it. I thought I was going to hurl. Oh. I, I, like, most of me knew that wasn't, like, that wasn't throw up. It was probably, like, just, like, I don't know, like a milkshake or something. But I was still like, God, this is absolutely rancid. This is so gross. Um, I think it, I think I gave it four out of five stars. I thought it was really well done. Um, really, really well acted. Um, I did not, I mean, I kind of expected the twist because there's that shot like a half hour in of something in a huge bag in her apartment. And so you're kind of like, oh, this lady's kind of sketchy. Um, but like to the extent that it went, I wasn't expecting that yeah no um, 
As someone who watched it on Tubi, I will say those ad breaks were very, very nice. <laughs> Towards the yeah, end. Yeah, I'm sure. I don't have Tubi, so I may or may not have watched it on a certain website um, <laughs> that has a lot of movies. Um, hypothetically. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Hypothetically, of course. If you know, you know. Um, but it was just like... It was, I really, I was kind of speechless after, if I'm being honest with you. Like, it it just unsettled me so much. And a horror movie hasn't done that to me since I watched, like, Hereditary for the first time. Um, yeah. It's just, like, it's so good. Um, but... <laughs> Some of the effects looked a little bit slightly outdated at points, like the thing where the tongue started moving on the floor. Um, oh, 100%. Which, um, if it had looked like realistic, she... I totally agree. I would have had to, like, I would have had to, like, take a breath halfway. Like, it's, say for an hour and 40 minute movie, there's, like, occasional, like, peaks here and there. So you don't get lured too heavily into that false sense of security that this is a romantic drama. Um, but that final, like, half an hour, once, like, they get into her apartment, and then, I don't remember what she does, like, she smothers the dad with a pillow, and then she, like, cuts his neck off, and then she cuts the foot off with the wire, puts, like, the needles in the guy it just it's mm -hmm. it's nauseating and the only other movie that really comes to mind that made me feel genuinely nauseous watching it was um old boy the twist in old boy yes bothered yes, me dude. i was just like i i was laying in bed watching it on my laptop it was probably like 1 a.m and i audibly said out loud when it all comes together, I was like, what the hell? Why? And I, it was just like, I felt like, I felt gross. At, there's very few movies that do that to me, but I felt gross after watching it. Yeah, like, um, same with Requiem for a Dream. I wanted to shower. Like, I felt yeah. dirty watching it. And the same could be yeah. said with, like, um, train spotting. But usually that's a movie that's really trying to impact, like, give you a heavy impact. Like, a, this is bad. Old Boy just, like, out of nowhere just pops up, like, spoiler warning, like, ha, that was your daughter. And that was not what I was expecting at all. And it, yeah. it was horrific. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I think, I don't know. I love a movie that, one, will stick with me for, like, a few days to a week after I've finished it. Um, but also, like, one that just makes me really, really uncomfortable. Um, such as, I just watched, uh, I don't know if you've seen it, um, Spotlight with Mark Ruffalo. I have um, not. I'll put that on my watch list, though. I've not heard of it. Oh, it's unbelievable. It's about the uh, Spotlight team uh, at the Boston Globe. 
they are like investigative journalists and um they, in 2001 they were the ones to uncover the massive um i'll just read the uh whatever what it says it's about on letterbox uh the true story of how the boston globe uncovered the massive scandal of child molestation and cover-up within the local catholic a church shaking the entire Catholic Church to its core, um, and it's just like after finishing it, you're just like, I feel, I feel gross. It's, but it's so good. Um, and the way I knew, I just, a, I, oh, oh yeah, keep going. I I was just gonna say I love a good movie that sticks with me for a while, and I think about for a while. The shot that's, like, engraved, like, branded into my brain um, from Old Boy is that scene where he's in the apartment and he's just standing there smiling with, like, yeah. really big grown-out hair. That, like, yeah. was kind of like a, okay, now you know what you're getting yourself into. Um, that feeling, it's, like, the heart drop feeling of, oh, God, this movie's about to, like, really ramp up uh same could be said with audition with the body bag moving um the shining when he starts yelling at shelly with the when he she's like you can't come into my room when i'm working um in clockwork orange that first shot when he's drinking the milk like standing there like sitting there smiling um i'm trying to think there are a lot of movies that do that and they let they let you know you're about to experience something unlike any other. Um, a movie that really gave me a moment of, like, my heart stopping while watching it was Skinamarink. I don't know if you've seen that one. I have yet to see it. I am hesitant because I've heard very mixed reviews about it. That is easily one of the most polarizing movies. I'll tell you right now. Come out. I'll tell you right now that... I, movies don't typically bother me because when you watch a horror movie, you're able to say, oh, it's just a movie. You can think about the, how, like where the camera is and you can kind of like shake off the scary, terrifying stuff in some of the higher end horror movies. Skinamarink doesn't feel like a movie. Skinamarink feels yeah. like a nightmare. And I will say without any hesitation it is the scariest movie I've ever seen, and I don't think anything could surpass it. Because there's... Yeah. It's that feeling of childhood fear captured in, like, a bottle and just let out into your face. And there's one yeah. moment... And Skinamarink is one of those movies where you're sitting there watching it, you're about to fall asleep, and then something happens, and then you're, like, sitting there, almost, like, in genuine tears, in fear. Yeah. And um, it I, does that to you. Because it's that feeling of whatever's out there in the dark. And you don't know. So, yeah. Mm. And I think found footage does a really, really good job of that as a genre. Um, like, thinking on, like, something like the Blair Witch Project. Um, and, like, reading about how like like private and how well they marketed that movie 
as a documentary because there had been no found footage films before that, like found footage horror. Um, and it was like the first of its kind. And they did such a good job at keeping it quiet that it was like fake. Like, and like saying in the media, like, yes, we have found this footage and we compiled it all together for people to watch. And I remember like my dad said, he went and saw it in the theater. He was probably like 13 or 14. And he said he wouldn't go outside or dark for like three weeks. And there's definitely films, at least as far as horror goes, um, for me at least, that like I like I turn on one more light than I usually do when I get home. <laughs> I uh, double check dark closets. Um, like recently, at least for me. Um, were you able to see the boogeyman? No, I didn't get around to it, but I, I know a lot about it. It got spoiled for me a lot. Yeah. There is so many scenes in that movie that I like think about on a daily basis where I'm just like, uh, because like the boogeyman, like any horror movie that has to deal with the boogeyman or something of that nature um is gonna be scary because that is the thing that we as people are like all afraid of as a kid is the boogeyman like something scary hiding in our closet and i thought they did such a effective and good job of dealing with that subject and it had the film really does a good job like handling like themes of grief and stuff like that um i just i really enjoyed that film overall um and i just i thought it was real good did i cut out there for a second what i don't know maybe but i think we just keep going all right yeah um it didn't sound like you cut out but it's good um okay cool and that's exactly what Skinnamark is. It takes that concept of a childhood fear and brings it back. Um, but you were talking about the advertising on Blair Witch Project. And there's one movie that I refuse to watch, but is internationally known for that concept of terrifying advertising. And it's a movie from 1980 called Cannibal Holocaust, where they made every actor in it like disappear off the face of the earth. Like They put them in like a building. And locked them away for months after the the movie. Yeah, I I have not heard of that one. Um, I'll have to add that to my watch list. But that you can tell based off that title alone what you're getting into. But everyone that died in the movie, they hid away from the world. And there was a whole court case where they had to bring everyone back out and bring them to court. Like, look, they're not dead. Because it was genuinely something that people believed. And they were... It, a whole thing and you can search it up but the um the promotion on that movie really scared people um and then yeah Blair Witch Project they were like we found this tape in the woods or whatnot you know yeah um but yeah no I think we hit a lot of points um it was great having you on we hope to have you back on at some point if you'd 
Like? Yeah, for sure. I would absolutely love to. Um, I just love talking film, you know? Yeah, and that's all this is. <laughs> yeah, and last thing, if you want to give me, a, again, follow on TikTok, it's Trey the Film Noob, um, and I just do, like, movie content. Um, so if you're in the movies, uh, shoot me a follow. Um, and uh, Letterbox is just Trey Arzy. Um, but, yeah, thanks for having me on. All right. It was great having you. Yeah.